Hey everyone, and welcome to this month's bonus episode for the Rumcast. It is May now already. It feels like that half of the year almost went very fast. But uh, Will, our thoughts for getting together so fast and doing this bonus episode was in reaction to a lot of what we've been seeing this past week with the Appleton 17 release coming out yeah. so soon. And uh, well, coming out and making a splash, you might say, in a lot of various ways. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost feel like we are doing this as a bonus episode. I think we're going to release it to to everyone as well as just a little surprise this month. We're still going to do another bonus episode just for patrons this month, but it kind of feels like an emergency episode. Yeah. I, I listen to like on sports podcasts, you know, when there's a big trade or something, yeah. sometimes there'll be an emergency podcast that comes out that night. I always love, I love that. the emergency <laughs> podcast. And I, you if know, ever, the rum, if there was a time to yeah, have an emergency yeah, the, podcast the, for us, for rum, yes. The, the rum world doesn't really move to the same rhythm as as sports where you have games mm-hmm. and like trades mm-hmm. and like a 24-hour news cycle all the time sure, so there's sure. less less uh, occasion for emergency podcast but i feel like this is the closest we're going to come so yeah. emergency bonus podcast to discuss the appleton 17 year old legend release and this is there's a few things we're going to talk about on this podcast but i think part of the reason why we felt the need to do this emergency podcast in the first place is just because I, I, I threw this out to you just to test it out and make sure I'm not crazy mm-hmm. or just, you know, a prisoner of the moment, as, like before we started recording. But yeah. I asked you, I said, I, I think this is the most negative reaction I've seen from the rum enthusiast community of a limited release, like since I started following rum closely, um, right. basically, which yeah. I guess would have been around... 2017 or 18 sometime around there so i definitely agree with that sentiment and from what i've seen there has been quite a bit of vitriol but more more so what sticks out because there's always kind of two sides of a story with these limited releases and people have their opinions but this one feels pretty one-sided with the reaction being on the negative side for a host of reasons i think which we want to talk about today or at least give a shot at what we think that negative reaction is coming from yeah, and I also think we, I don't, you and I just started having some interesting conversations offline just about the nature of limited releases in the first place and like, how do you do these right? Is there a right way to do these? Yeah. So I think we wanted to get into some of those questions as well. But before we get into all that, I think it's important to establish why why is this release such a big deal in the first place? And mm-hmm. we've we started talking about this release uh, about a year ago, I, I think it was. A, I think it was last May in 2022 when mm-hmm. the label approval for this release came through the TTB database, and you know the internet always. If, if it's something that's like a big deal like this, the internet gets a hold of it, and you know yeah. people start talking about it. So Appleton hadn't announced anything at that point, but this label approval came through and people saw that it was Appleton 17 year old legend. And there was a, it basically, it was positioned as a faithful recreation of the original J Ray and nephew 17 year old rum, which was said to be used in the original 1944 Mai Tai created by Trader Vic. So Mm -hmm. this is like the mythical of all mythical rum releases. If you've read the Smuggler's Cove book, there's a whole backstory section about this rum and why it's kind of the the white whale for, for rum collectors. And there are so few remaining bottles of the original one. I think actually Martin Kate in that book said he owns like the only 
bottle remaining that yeah. he knows of and like he's of never even he opened it yeah, yeah. so yeah. this is like genuinely an iconic rum release and you know every like tiki historians enthusiasts are always trying to you know get to the bottom of how do we try to create the the original mai tai as much as possible mm-hmm. and we won't get into like all the 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 nerdy details with that but basically that's what this release was billed as originally and so people saw the label and ever since then it's just been like when is this coming out when is this coming out when is this coming out and everyone's been looking forward to it so i think that is part of the reason why we're seeing such a big reaction there was so much hype and and build up internally from the rum enthusiast community because of what this was and beyond that 1500 bottle release so very small and that's like globally that's right that's all there right. is they've said these this is the only time they're going to do it and the the big recent news because because appleton started building this up in the last couple of months as well like if you go to appleton's website right now at the time of this release or at the time of this recording anyway it's all themed around this mm-hmm. the, it says like the legend returns and all this stuff like it's a it's a big thing they're hyping up and I guess it was last week when people found out the suggested retail price of $500. It's only been a couple of days, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's why a lot of these thoughts and feelings are, are, are bubbling to the surface right now. But I think a natural question that people had when they heard that Appleton was doing this was how they, they describe it as a faithful recreation of the original rum. And so the first question is, okay, how close, like what, what does a faithful recreation mean? Like how, how, how close can you actually get to replicating this rum that came out in the 1940s? And, you know, that means it, it would have been distilled in the, the 1920s probably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how are you able to replicate that? And there's been a lot more details coming out in, in recent in, in recent days. Forbes published an article written by Tony Sachs interviewing Joyce Spence titled Rum's Holy Grail. Appleton recreates the rum used in the first Mai Tai. This came out three days ago, May 17th. If you haven't had a chance to read this, I think there's two articles actually that people should read if they want to get the full backstory. One is this article and one is an article that Matt Petrick released on his Rum Wonk Substack that's kind of like detailing not only what we know about the release, but also he's got a bunch of historical notes about what J. Ray and nephew Appleton, Jamaican you know, rum producers were, were making at the time. So I'll link those in the show notes. But I wanted to quickly pull out a few quotes from Joyce Spence that were featured in that article. So first of all, she says that this actually has been being planned since 2005, which is like, you know, that's when these rums were distilled. I think right. one question people had was, you know, they have they actually been in pl- the back of the warehouse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, have they right. actually been planning this long enough to like, when they distilled these rums mm-hmm. to have the intent of doing this release? Or was it just kind of like they thought of this a few years ago and like, let's see what we have in the aging warehouses that are in the mm-hmm. ballpark, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Um, right. Because, you know, the rum would have been 100% pot still. So like, did they just grab some pot still rums that were 17 years, blend some stuff together and be like, yeah, faithful recreation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, it, and, and you know, I, I think people are always, especially when a release comes from a, a distillery, a brand that is owned by a large, uh, you know, kind of multinational company like Campari, there's always a little bit of skepticism in, in the marketing and everything. But if you go by what Joy says in this article, this, this was planned 
from the start to be this release. So she says, we had the formulation in Owen Tulloch's formula book. Owen Tulloch was her predecessor at Appleton. Mm. She started in 1981, and he actually worked there since 1945, the article, wow. the article details. So he literally was there when they were making that original, wow. or at least when they you know supplied that yeah, original yeah. rum to like Trader the- Vic. Yeah, they're like the Pittsburgh Steelers of like rum making because their head coaches there have lasted so long. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't. I, I don't feel like you see that as much. Although, no, I guess there is quite a few that have hung around for a while that are master blenders or master distillers. But it does feel like you do have some turnover. And wow, that's a huge run to yeah. be just two of them in that span of time. It's it's pretty yeah. amazing. So she says we had the formulation in Owen Tulloch's formula book. He would print long sheets of paper and then he would cover them with pieces of cardboard that he took from the boxes we shipped the rums in. Then he would punch two holes and tie it with a nice ribbon and that would be our formula book. Those formulas are actually in our archives stored with our legal department. And mm-hmm. so she says, you know, this rum, uh, quote, it was produced as Trader Vic's personal selection. We used to export it in bulk to Trader Vic's. And at that point, she's talking about some of the marks that were used in that right. rum, the, right. the Ray and Nephew marks. And so basically, she's saying when she first got there, as you know, as late as 1981, these were still some of these marks were still being produced. So she saw these. She talked to Owen. Um, she knew about, you know, these 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 marks that were made. And she says, um, let me find it. Okay, so there's one more quote, and this is about re- kind of, they know there were four marks that would need to go into this rum, and one of the quotes stuck out to me. She said, there's one particular mark that is so unique, and you had to set the ferment in a particular way and distill it in a particular way, which is not what we're doing now for the other estate marks. So basically, I say all that, and, and sorry for, you know, reading so many quotes off there. Sure. <laughs> you can go go read the article. Yeah. It's It's very yeah. informative, but what I'm trying to get across is that if if you you know believe everything she's saying there, this was something that was done very intentionally, starting back in two thousand five, and you know wasn't easy necessarily for them to do. They had to really go out of their way to do this, doing alternative fermentations and all sorts of stuff. And so with with all that said, I think that's kind of what the rum enthusiast community was wanting to hear about this. That I think people grant some leeway. This probably isn't going to be 100% exactly the same. Obviously, the molasses might be a little different yeah. now than it was in the right. the 20s right. when those original rums were made. And also, right. Matt points out in his... Ar- yeah. yeah, exactly, the barrels. Yeah. Matt points that out in his article that the barrels that were likely being used then were not you know, ex-bourbon casks, they were likely, he calls them uh, punchins, which are much larger casks. So, mm-hmm. and that actually, if you read about the description of the original 17-year-old rum, Vic described it as being kind of golden in color. And you and I talked about that in the past of like, that's interesting. Why would it be golden in color 17 years of, of tropical aging? Because it wouldn't have mm-hmm. been aged in Europe if it was being made by Appleton. And that may be, maybe it was because it was in those much larger sized casks, there's less interaction with the wood. So it's not going to be as dark as say even modern Appleton 15 is. So Mm -hmm. obviously for these new ones, they use standard ex-bourbon casks. So there are some differences, but with all that said, that's what the rum is. When it was announced, we, we, you know, made some predictions as to what the price would be, because I think we're your mind goes, I think for some people, there was some sticker shock involved with the price. And 
we made our predictions, your original prediction, which you didn't remember, but I went back and listened, told yeah. you I would reveal it to you. You originally predicted you thought it would be in the 200 to $300 range, okay. MSRP, and then you landed, you put a specific number to it, you said 280 My prediction was that it wouldn't be any less than $500. I should, I really should have done an exact one, but that's all I managed to get out. Um, Romecast patron Chris Bailey, he predicted $500 on the dot, and we had a few other patrons. Rob predicted $899. Kogan predicted $600 to $750. And was, was there another one that, that you had pulled? Yeah, um, I think it was Rick from Instagram was saying he thinks he nailed it, but I don't remember if he just had... had text us or dm'd us with that it's so we'll give uh, and, we'll give rick yeah, credit yeah. for getting the 500 dollars as well so i think that's kind of the backstory of this very legendary release highly anticipated designed to basically recreate the rarest of all rare you know rums that are sought after at least maybe if you're if you're into kind of tiki history maybe there's arguably some some other rums that that may be more rare more sought after but this is definitely one of the the big ones so with all that said, I, I think a helpful way to compare this is maybe comparing it to like what are Appleton's other releases typically priced at? You know, because they've done a number a, a number of limited releases, and you know where are those? So I know you pulled some of those numbers. Yeah, I did. I did a little bit of the math on both some of their limited releases and their their regular line, just because I thought there would be some interesting comparisons there in terms of years aged and ABV and things like that that we can talk about. So I'll just kind of quickly run through these. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to start with their main line, and then we'll look at the limited releases. So this is probably not going to be unfamiliar to most, but just to kind of give us uh, some some background. So the Appleton 8 I'm going to start at is $32 to $35. That's 43% ABV, obviously not limited. Same with the 12. Appleton 12 is in the $40 to $45 range, 43% as well. So pretty much all of their normal releases or their standard releases are 43%. Mm -hmm. Um, Their new Black River cask, the Appleton 15, that I'm seeing going for about $65 to $70. That's also 43% ABV. And then you have the 21, which in my market at least is between 130 to 140, 145 mm-hmm. in and around there. That's also 43% ABV. So that's kind of uh, their major line. And then you start to look at, well, what are their limited stuff that they've done in the past? Right. And I think we can start with, I'm going to start with the one I have, which is the Appleton Joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 25 years minimum age. It's 45% ABV, so that jumps it up just a a couple of percentage points in the ABV. And there was 12,000 bottles of that, according to to what I've seen on the internet. So 12,000 is quite a bit more than a lot of these other limited releases. For sure. And that one was $250. Okay. That was the, I should say, MSRP on that was $250. So I know that a lot of people have been seeing that for higher now because it's been, what, at least... I want to say eight to 10 years or so. Yeah, several years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So there's that one. Now you've got the 30. So the Appleton 30, which is a limited release of 4,000 bottles. That's also at 45%. And that one I've seen is MSRP for about $1,500. So that jumps up quite a bit. Yep. These are MSRPs is what I've got here. And by the way, I found this just by kind of perusing the internet. So if somebody wants to find out something different, please, you know, feel free to correct us. But from the two or three sites that I checked on a lot of these, 1500 was the Appleton 30, at least from what I can see right now. 
And then the 50. So the Appleton 50, which you might expect is very low in release. That's 800 bottles is what I've seen that releases. And I'm not sure if they're releasing those over time, 800 at a time, or how that's exactly working. But those are about $5,000 MSRP right now at 45% ABV. So those three, the 25 Joy, the 30, and the 50, all at 45% ABV and Clearly, the price jumps a lot there. Now, I know you also did some work on the Hearts and Ruby, if you have that info. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to find the 30-year. Sure. Because the, the only reason that 1500 sounds high to me, because I looked up Ruby, which was a, a special release that was done yeah. for Joy's 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And that one was 500 bottles. So extremely limited release, minimum age, 35 years old. And what I saw was $700 suggested retail price for that rum. So obviously those rums are, if, if you look it up now, I'm sure they're selling for much, much, much more than that. So yeah, um, no, that's what it is actually. I'm So I'm looking it up right now. I see three places that have it at 1500 for the 30. And mm-hmm. actually it looks like the MSRP earlier was probably closer to 500. So okay, that's what I was thinking. Out. Yeah, yeah. Good call out on that. I see it now. And then the Hearts, the Hearts collection. I, there have been several different releases within that. I know the the initial ones that they released. Those were, I think, about three thousand bottles per yeah. release. Those were one hundred percent pot still releases, and they were much higher ABV. And those were in the what two to two to three hundred dollar, somewhere a little over three hundred dollars. I think in the that initial run of the yeah. the ninety nine, ninety four, ninety five. Right, if um, I recall, between like two seventy and three thirty. Yep. Yeah, somewhere in there. So mm-hmm. um, to, it's interesting because to me, when you see this release in the context of those other ones, like I, I don't remember seeing anyone being mad about Ruby whenever that was announced. And it was, you know, $700, only 500 bottles. Um, so super, super limited. Uh, again, though, yeah. that that didn't have the... The, the, the backstory, the hype that, yeah. that this one did. So when you see it in the context of those prices does that change how you feel about it at all because this it was also a lot more expensive than you thought it would be based on your initial prediction so i'm just curious like with all seeing it with all that context sure how do you feel about the price i mean it still struck me as more than i would want to pay for this room sure and I think, but we can't divorce it from the context, which is exactly what you were just saying is, I know there was a lot of hype behind this and I know the backstory is an important piece. And I, and I, I get that. I inherently understand that. But to me, that doesn't matter to me as much as the quality of the rum. And that's just my personal opinion here of like, okay, if I can get what I think is probably going to be close in terms of what it is for significantly less mm-hmm. then I'm not really interested in, in purchasing it for 500 I would be much more interested in the 200 to 300 range uh, that for me I, I don't know what it is exactly but and I do like by the way I know we haven't talked about this yet but it is 49% ABV so they did yeah. bump up on this one a little bit in the ABV which clearly some of the other releases they haven't gotten there with the exception of hearts releases mm-hmm. and so that I like and I think that that I'm willing to pay a little bit more for that but again, look at the Hearts collection there, all pot still, and those are 21 to 26 years at 60% and up ABV, and those are in the $300 range. So you, you, you have to give me something more here as to why that one is going to be that much more. And maybe it is baked into the R&D like you were talking about earlier yeah. with what they had to do to make it, but I'm just, I'm not feeling that enough here. So, you know, I, I, I sense your feelings about this they don't seem as 
intensely negative as I've seen a, a lot of the reaction from rum enthusiasts online. And again, right. obviously like you can find intensely negative reactions to anything online. So like, <laughs> I, but this is particularly distinct in what I have observed since observing the rum enthusiast community closely. Like I just haven't seen a reaction like this, especially with a brand that I think generally people are very positive about. Right. So why do you think, rum fans are so frustrated like what is it about this that that just you know set set off this kind of reaction i have two things i'll point to and i'm sure you may have some points as well the, the first you already mentioned which is the lead up and the hype yeah now, i know some of that wasn't controlled by them right i understand yeah, some of it was some like of, just created yes. by by us right <laughs> right because <laughs> right. we some saw the label was, and just ran wild with it exactly it was organic in that way but I think they also must have recognized that at some point. And I know that they were also kind of pushing this as well. And so that's one difference here is the hype for it. I mean, like you said, they took over their entire website with it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's really being thrust out there. But the reality is at 1,500 bottles of a release and at that price, 99% of people aren't going to get their hands on this to ever try it. Right. So it really feels like a miss in the sense of like, this is something that similar to the 15 the Black River casks mm -hmm. that a lot of people have been able to get their hands on yeah. and, and try and enjoy, and maybe some like it more than others, but this is the antithesis of that, right? Well, that's not, a, that's not a limited release, though. It that's isn't. part of their core lineup. But my point is to say that I think the way that, that this has gone, you would think that it is part of the core lineup almost because oh, of the hype surrounding it, and that most people would get to enjoy this at some point. Mm. Instead, this is the... This is, it's gone from the Holy Grail to, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to make an Indiana Jones reference here and it's leaving me, but like <laughs> the, the kingdom wrong of the grail. crystal skull. <laughs> no, God, let's forget that existed. But no, like at the end of Last Crusade, all those other Holy Grails that are the fake ones, this oh, now right. feels like a fake one to me just because <laughs> I'll never get to this. This is never going to happen. Right. So it, it just I, it, I just it leaves a bad taste there. So that's the, the kind of the first one. I don't know if you have a comment on that, but no, go ahead. Um, what's what's the second piece? The second piece with it is something doesn't make sense about recreating a rum that, yes, it was a 17-year-aged rum, but it was meant to be a mixed drink rum. Mm. At least that's where the hype comes from, right? It's, you use this in a Mai Tai. Who the fuck is going to use this in a Mai Tai <laughs> for $500 a bottle plus or people paying much more than that? I, I just, it would be silly. So that just doesn't equate to me to start with. So Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think it would... Like, Let's say you're a huge tiki enthusiast and you do get your hands on this bottle of rum. I think plenty of them would be like, you know, once in a lifetime chance to have something close as possible to the original Mai Tai. Of course, I'm going to make a Mai Tai with this. I mean, what is it? Three dots and a dash. They just put like an $800 Mai Tai on their menu or something like that. Have you read about that? I, that's, I, I saw it in passing, <laughs> but that's insane. It's insanity I, it, to me. I, $800 yeah. might be wrong. It might that's, be, but it's like, it's like seven or $800. It's somewhere in there. Late stage capitalism stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. I think the other part of this that we haven't talked about yet an aspect of the release was the nft angle which i think there were so there's 1500 bottles but appleton also they partnered with this website called block bar and they made 36 available in the form of nfts i'm not even gonna attempt to get into explaining what nfts are i think most yeah. people at this point have at least a general concept of what they are but basically you would buy one of these Appleton 17-year NFTs, and which is basically just a digital little piece of art related to the bottle. 
and then you could exchange that NFT for a free bottle, basically. Even, and the NFTs even that are all- explanation is making me dry heave. Sorry. <laughs> so the the NFTs were five hundred dollars each, and there were there was an online release. So this was like anyone's chance, in theory, to get one. And so I know like a lot of people tried. I actually went on for the second release. I think there was like a pre-release for people who were subscribers to this block bar mm-hmm. website or whatever, yeah. where the, the first, I don't know, 17 mm-hmm. or so were mm-hmm. made available. So there was a second one where the remainder, the remainders were made available to, and, and like Appleton promoted it. I went on because I was kind of interested. Like I was like, we should try to snag a bottle for the podcast, even though both you and I, you know, normally would never pay this much money for almost yeah. any rum i would say Ever. I, like yeah I, i've never paid that much for a bottle of rum but yeah. you know we we've got some funding now for the podcast and so we were going to attempt to get a bottle so we could actually you know talk about what it tastes like and i will tell you i was there like 9 a.m on the dot i was there like 10 minutes in advance just getting ready and there was a countdown and as soon as it hit zero they were just all gone, were John. All gone. <laughs> I, had, I had no shot so Anyway, I, I think a lot of people were also, A, I think people see NFT in the first place and just kind of, it's eye roll inducing at this point, yeah. especially, yeah. I think like when they were first getting buzz, there wasn't the big like crypto collapse yet at that right. point. And I know I'm, I'm not trying to make this a crypto podcast or whatever. So if you're into crypto, I'm not trying to say it's totally dead or whatever. Don't get mad at me. But obviously there's, there was a major downturn in, in right. crypto recently. Right. And I think especially since that happened, people have just been like, okay, so NFTs were total bullshit then. And so yeah. I think seeing that as part of the release was just like, oh, marketing, tech, buzzword, nonsense, this is really just like a PR grab, essentially, is what this release is. So I think a lot of people felt that way. And I think a lot of that was was compounded by the NFT piece of the release. And also, it didn't help that as soon as those that first half of the NFTs came out, there was one post where someone like somehow bought four of them and had instantly made them available for $1,500 each. Mm -hmm. So it's like people knew that these were going to get bought and flipped on secondary markets. But I think seeing that like before it was even publicly available was just like, are you like, are you kidding me? Like seriously, there's already four of these and there's like everything that's wrong with that kind of system in general. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is rum just going to be like bourbon now, you know, where people are getting these and just flipping them for ridiculous costs. And, you know, this is supposed to be like the, the, the fucking Mai Tai rum, you know, this is supposed to be accessible. It's it's, it's like, it's for cocktails. Um, I want to be able to taste this. And it's just turned into this thing where it's the most exclusive of the most exclusive. And I think people felt really left out because of that. Um, The the rum enthusiast community is what I'm talking about. And again, when I say there's a negative reaction, I'm not saying that like, you know, drinks.com or, you know, all these industry publications are saying like, look at the backlash. And so I'm just talking about the small insular rum enthusiast community that that's where the, 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 the negative sentiment is occurring. I'm sure there's a lot of positive stuff being said. And obviously, you know, there's some interesting articles and stuff coming out. So Appleton is getting a lot of earned media through this. Mm -hmm. And so I think people see that and they're like, was this whole thing just a commercial for Appleton? basically. Right. Yeah. And that was that was kind of the the third final point that I wanted to talk about in my reaction, which was and I think it ties into what you're saying, is this perceived scarcity mm. driven? Meaning, I'm thinking of specifically like 
game consoles and how Microsoft and the Xbox, I mean, and PlayStation have been accused of doing this or even Nintendo. And it's hard to pin down whether or not I think it actually happened with with most of those releases. But this this reeks of that same thing to me in the sense of saying, well, was this something that is perceived scarcity in the sense of they, they really wanted to ratchet down the number here because they wanted to produce this result? that you you can't get it type of thing which hypes it and gets them more attention you know no no press is bad press type of thing well um, here's here's where i'll play a little bit of devil's advocate or appleton's advocate i'm, I'm not calling them the devil i'm just saying like if i were going to make an argument for, for 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 appleton's case right if it's true that they conceived of this project back in 2005 because that's mm-hmm. when these realms were distilled and joy herself said mm-hmm. we made this back then with that intent Okay, if you rewind all the way back to 2005, obviously I was not of age to be enjoying rum at that time. It was not on my radar, so I didn't witness what the premium aged rum market was like in 2005. But from what I have read and from what I have heard in conversations with people who are into rum, um, there wasn't much of a premium aged rum market back then. So if they were conceiving of this project, they were, okay, how much of this should we make? They're, so obviously they're probably betting a little bit that rum will be more popular 17 years from now. But at the same right. time, maybe when they were like, let's, you know, let's lay down enough of this to do 1500 bottles at the time, maybe they were like, holy shit, can we possibly sell 1500 bottles of this? Like that's, that's a lot. So uh, I think it's, I, it's very different to conceive of a very high end premium rum release in 2005 and forecast the numbers based on if they had come up with this idea a few years ago, maybe mm-hmm. they would have been like, oh, this should be, you know, a 5,000, 7,000 bottle release. I, I think we can look at the joy release and maybe refute that a little. But they didn't have to specifically make that necessarily. Like that could have just been, you know, casks that they had. Put it in, in for in 25 stock. years and it's the e- same marks and all that. E- exactly. That's and, fair. And I think that was, yeah. that was a, I, I'm pretty sure that's a pot and column blend. It's not a hundred percent pot. Right. right? So that, that's why I'm just yeah. saying playing a little devil's advocate on the $1,500, the 1500 bottle thing. You know, if they planned this in 2005, that may have seemed like a risk back then. You know, I don't know that necessarily as many people even knew what the hell rum this was back then. You think? I mean, so I, we need somebody that's older than us to tell us this, I think, to your point from earlier. But I feel like this legend has been around for quite some time. Yeah. I don't think this is the last five or seven years that the 17-year-old J. Ray and nephew has been the Holy Grail. Well, I, I will it's say... longer than that. In Smuggler's Cove, Martin Kate makes a reference to, at, at some point in the, I think the 2000s, Appleton did pull some 17-year barrel samples and mm-hmm. like sent them out to some bartenders and stuff. And he said that like half of the people who got it didn't even know what the hell was on their hands. And like it right. just ended up in rum and Cokes and stuff like that. So right. while, they're still, while this still obviously was a legend to some degree back then, if that's when they came up with it, I definitely don't think it's, you know, the hype was anywhere near yeah. what it is today. Well, well, then here's my secondary argument with it is, okay, so at what point do you you think, you know what, we might have something on our hands here, and how are we starting to recreate this Mm -hmm. if we feel like this is something that's viable moving forward? So to your point of maybe they're saying it's still a risk and we'll see what happens with these 1500 bottles and and then go from there. But that's also short sighted. And I think you have to say, okay, in 2005, we started this project, but you've already done the R&D now. Why wouldn't you say, okay, let's in a year or now or, or two from then, 
Let's pour another eight barrels in. So you're saying why are they why are they just making this a one and done? Why like why can't Correct. they make more of this rum basically? Right. And why yeah. wouldn't they have if they felt confident that it was a good product for them? Mm. And other know, than to ratchet up hype for, exactly. for this release. And for all we know, shit, that might be the case and they ain't telling us. Yeah. Right? Because they want to get through this, this fifteen hundred, and oh, two years later, look, we're coming back with it again. Well, I mean uh, they they're being pretty pretty specific by saying like this is a one time only thing. Which I mean yeah. obviously it's it's not as if companies haven't ever gone back on something like that. But right. yeah. So yeah. with all that in mind, well let's just say if we're giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying they conceived to this in 2005, if they were doing it now, they would probably do more than 1500 bottles. It, what, it is a $1,500, 1500 bottle release. Do you think there would have been a better way for them to release these 1500 bottles that was fairer to the rum enthusiast community that would have made the rum enthusiast community feel better about it? Or was it just set up to fail completely? Cause I have, I have one, release idea of what I think they should have done, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious if anything comes to mind for you. I'm not sure I do have a a fully fleshed out better idea, Mm because I I guess you have to almost take a step back and say, well, how do these things usually get to market, right? Mm. And a lot of times my understanding is they're demand driven in the sense of what sold before in those markets is kind of where those things have been allocated. So in the EU, if they're selling X number versus the US market Mm. or whatever, then that's how those are allocated in similar percentages. At least that's what my thought would be with that. I'm not 100% confident in it. And then this kind of maybe is trying to buck that trend and maybe they're trying to do something different. So I do give them the benefit of the doubt for what you mentioned earlier about the NFT maybe having tried to cut out the middleman or men in that case of saying like, hey, this is direct to consumer. You have a chance to click on this. However, the the fail there was just in the low numbers then. No, they only so, did 36, yeah. Right. So if that's the case, I mean, that's just ridiculous in the amount of people who are going to miss out. And you have to have felt like, well, that's going to foment some pretty bad feelings among most people. So the idea at its core, whether it's NFT or driven by something else that would be a pre-order system, if you will, in that way, I think is interesting. But I just think the fail point there was just how limited it already was. So that's that's kind of my only thoughts on to start it. Maybe there was something there with the idea, but it was not executed well in the end. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting point. I, I do think because in theory, it's like if they made all 1500 available direct to consumer via the Internet, that makes it more accessible in theory to rum enthusiasts no matter where you live and an opportunity to get it at suggested retail price instead of but it also makes it more susceptible to flippers right because that's like that just makes it insanely easy for them to get their hands on it as opposed to having to hunt it down in person so kind of a double-edged sword there so can i give you can i pitch you my idea of how i think they could have made this something that would have been much more embraced by the rum enthusiast yeah. community. Yeah, I, I want you to pitch your idea and then I want to go back to that secondary market idea because I okay. want to follow up with that. Go ahead. So I think what they should have done is take like 500 of the bottles, right? And identify maybe, let's say, 15 to 30 bars around the world right. that are rum enthusiast bars. You know, tiki bars, well rum bars, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, the rumbas of the world places like that and allocate a certain number of bottles to each of those bars and plan special events at all of these bars. It's like mm-hmm. the original 
1944 celebration of the Mai Tai with the first ever rum. Mm. Um, you can make them ticketed events where people right. buy a ticket and you come and you get a, not only do you get a Mai Tai made with this rum, but you also get like a one ounce pour or something like that of the rum neat. So it's it becomes this tasting experience all over the world. And it, at 500 bottles, I mean, that's um, there's about 25 ounces in a bottle so I mean, you could in theory make like thousands of mai tais. You could you could be getting thousands of these to people, yeah. and yeah. like I think that would be a really cool opportunity for people who, a either don't want to pay five hundred dollars or b like can't get access to it. You have like something that's happening near you that you can go to and you can experience it, and it's this really cool memory that you get to make because of it. And you still have like a thousand bottles left over that you can sure. sell, sell the the regular yeah. way. And I think with something that limited that's this special there's no way to avoid all the nonsense that comes with that kind of release like people are going to snap them up they're going to go on secondary markets i don't i just literally don't know how you avoid that so but i i just think they should have done something that was like how can we slice off part of this and do something really cool for the people who care about this the most you know because i think that's that's I, I just think there was major disappointment from people who saw that this was happening and thought for a second, man, maybe I'll finally get to be able to try this thing. And then they don't get that. And so that's I think it's a little bit it's a, like a dash of that. And then yep. like a sprinkle of NFT outrage. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and you get kind of this this big negative reaction that we were talking about in, in rum enthusiast circles. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Actually, it's a, a really creative one. And it speaks to the heart of what this release should be, which is. The Mai Tai, number one, right? You're getting it in the Mai Tai. That's that's part of this. Right. And then two is you can get a piece of it in a in a communal setting, right? Imagine going with other rum lovers to the bar and be experiencing that together. That would be an incredible way to do it. So kudos to you for thinking that idea because I do think that's really a great, uh, great hey, idea and you know, great way to um, do it. Rum yeah. companies out there. Just come on down to the Rumcast anytime for for free marketing ideas. I mean, we're both yeah. we're both dishing them out all the time. So hey, we are. <laughs> I wanted to get back to the secondary market. You said there's probably no way to curb yeah. that, and and I agree. There is one way. <laughs> there is one way. What is that? Don't fucking buy it. Oh. And oh, so, you mean don't buy the ones on the secondary market? Correct. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So as hard as that is, and we, we have to turn the mirror you know, back in ourselves, we have to pull a little Michael Jackson and uh, look in the mirror, uh-huh. uh, because I think that's part of it here. But the, uh, you're right in the sense that, look, flippers are going to be flippers. Flippers going to flip, right? It's going to happen. There's, that's, some of these people, that's all they do in life right. is sit on the internet and wait for things and opportunities like this to make their money. Freaking nerds. Uh, Just ruining it for everyone. It is definitely something that gets me heated. I, I'm not really a fan of that. Any person doing that, sorry if you're one of them, but it just it really Don't bugs apologize. me. Don't apologize, John. <laughs> and then you get into this game where I can almost defend Appleton a little bit with the NFT thing because at that price at 500, they're thinking, well, look, if we can make a little bit more money because we see what secondary markets are doing yeah. and selling these for. If we, we should be, meaning Appleton, the real people making the better profit on these, right? So you almost get into this kind of back and forth or chicken and the egg game of, well, look, shit, if these previous releases of limited releases we've sold are, are going for way more than what we wanted to sell them for mm-hmm. on the secondary market, well, we should be able to push our prices up as MSRP and people will still theoretically pay that, right? Yeah. 
So that's, that's, I think, the mental calculation that's coming here and why some of these prices are expanding because I think Appleton and Campari and whoever else is involved is saying, look, that should be us, not these secondary markets who are people who are doing nothing. They're doing right. fuck all and making two or three times the profit margin on this, and that's not okay. So can we figure out a way that we can eliminate that? No is the answer to, to 100%, but <laughs> right. can you do something about it, right? So then that leads me back to this, well, if that's the case, and all of us who are, are, are in this understanding that is, you know what? Fuck the secondary market. Mm-hmm. If it's not within 10% of what the MSRP is, don't even consider it. Because at some point, that demand will then evaporate. These people will stop doing what they're doing. And we can hopefully give it back to the people like the Appletons of the world who really should deserve the profit on it. Not exorbitant profit, mind you. I'm not saying anything like that. I want it to be closer to what it should be. But I do feel strongly that I'd much rather give a profit margin to the people who made this than the people who are flipping it online. Yeah. Well, I certainly won't be buying a bottle of this on the secondary market. So, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's a good thought because those aren't the people who should be rewarded, the people flipping the bottles. I, I, I don't know if we can actually get people to stop buying those um, because it just seems like that happens in every other spirits category. So I don't know how you can rein that yes, in. It's a social contract. <laughs> it's it, the, the social the, contract. The only way it works is if the, <laughs> the more... unwritten rules of society. You yes. sound like uh, George Costanza right now. <laughs> That's right. I was hoping one of the founding fathers. You went with George Costanza. So <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay. Well, with all that in mind, do you think is, is there a better way to do limited releases in general? Gosh, it really is tough because, as you mentioned earlier, you're sometimes projecting more than a decade out with these. And that's a really incredibly difficult thing to do. So I recognize that sometimes you're going to miss that mark in terms of engaging with what do you think the perceived demand is going to be when the product is ready. So it's hard to hold people fully accountable in that way. But at the same time, if you are ending up in that situation, I think we need people and producers and sellers to think harder about how they're going to be able to do this that's not going to result in what I perceive right now is kind of a backlash, right? Mm. I, I, f- I feel like this is a full-on backlash from many of the rum community that are just kind of saying, well, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah. I think that's the minority of people, but yeah. I still think they're out there. And that really hurts a brand to, you know, at the end of the day, if you're getting people who are going the nuclear option on you. So, you know, there has to be a better thought given once we know what are the statistics of what we have and how do we do this in a meaningful way where we can engage the community, to your point earlier, and make it work for us given we can't control what we can't control. Yeah. And and I'll say, like, I like, and I, I don't think you were saying this necessarily, but I, I don't think that Appleton is going to actually experience anything that hurts them financially from this, nor will Campari. If anything, I think this will help them because, like I said, it has earned them a lot of free Mm -hmm. media promotion. People Mm -hmm. who were unfamiliar with Appleton are maybe hearing about it for the first time because of this interesting release. At some of the Um, most loyal people's expense, though. Exactly. Yeah, that's the part about it that sucks is, yeah, the people who have loyally followed them for years and been waiting for this are feeling a little bit burned now. So... Yeah, I'm not sure there's a better way to do these. I just think, and we should also say, I mean, there's rum brands all the time that are coming out with releases that are thousands of dollars. And in my opinion, with rum that is nowhere near as good as what Appleton puts out. So putting it in the context of that, like 
and I, I could see Appleton being like, well, why, why, why the hell are you guys so mad at us right now? I mean, look at what Company X just released and you didn't care at all. Mm-hmm. I think, again, part of this is because this is a very like personal thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were already fans of Appleton. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where these intense feelings in the rum enthusiast community are, are coming from. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know what the answer is. It's a really hard problem, but... I'll give it a, another positive spin as well. And I don't know who yeah. made the comment because I, I saw it scrolling through while I was at work. So I don't mm-hmm. have who to give credit to for it. But I thought it was an interesting take. And basically, this person's take was, look, yes, $500 is a lot of money. And yes, it's going to be hard to get. But if I can get my hands on it for that, it's like a trip back in time. And would I pay yeah. $500 for a trip back in time? Yes, I would. So I was like, right. okay, that's a, that's an interesting kind of spin on it. And I can see how some people would go for it with that in mind. Right. Yeah. 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 I will say like, I, I don't think $500 is a ridiculously unfair price. But again, that's what I predicted. It would be around $500 in the first place. Yeah. I personally, like I, I just in general don't pay $500 for rum or, or any beverage. Yeah. So like, it's kind of out of the question for me. I think generally, I think we talked about this before, but usually, I mean, I'm very rarely buying something over uh, $200 and like maybe once a year I might spring for something extra special that right. is in that range, right. um, but like pre- a hearts collection right. bottle or Predicted something. Predicted and worth it are two different things. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, like we talked about with Ruby, I, I think yeah. we both agreed Oof. that was certainly not worth the, the money they were charging for it. And I'm hoping that this isn't going that same direction. And then there's the other point of saying, just again, what is the financials that are tied to this that made it be that number? And Mm. is there any kind of kind of, you know, a cash grab there that really shouldn't be? Or if you're okay with it and you say, look, at a 49% ABV, 17 year release, I'm okay with paying 500. I'm still feeling like I'm not there, like I said earlier, but I can see how other people might be. Yeah. I think um, we're always going to see really, really limited releases. I think generally there'll be very old rums. This one's kind of unique because it's not ridiculously old, like 30-year or Ruby or 50-year mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 17 years, which is old, but it's not you know the, the huge age statement people right. are, but it has that backstory of what it's being recreated as that makes it unique. And, and like the, the commenter said, it's like going back and it's like paying to go back in time to right. some people, basically. So I would just say if it's a limited release that like has some sort of connection to rum lore that the rum enthusiast community has followed for years. Just, I think finding a way to include those people in it yeah. would be great. And, and think, I mean, obviously doing that whole idea I talked about with coordinating with all the bars and mm-hmm. stuff requires mm-hmm. a ton of effort, oh my God. but yeah. also just think about all the, the press that that could get when you're yeah. making it this, this huge event that so yeah. many people, passionate people are, would be hyped for. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners like, how did you feel about this release? Do you do you think there are ways it could have been done better? Limited releases in general, what would you like to see more of from companies? Send us an email, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, this is, like we said, we're making this a free bonus episode. We'll be recording another one for this month as well for our patrons. These are similar. uh, This is like a a different kind of episode than we would usually release normally, but more in lines of what our bonus episodes are. We kind of go a little deeper on, you know, specific rums 
what we think about them, what we're tasting, things like that. So if you enjoyed it, you can go to patreon.com slash the rumcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the rumcast. You can sign up there. We're also doing happy hours and all sorts of cool stuff. So we'd love to see some more of you joining up there. John, email's not the only way that they can send us their uh, their hot takes on this release. Where else can they get in touch with us? That's right. We're on social media at Facebook and Instagram at the rumcast. You can get to us either through comments or direct messaging through either of those platforms. And we're on Twitter. We're hanging around on Twitter still. So you can get us there too. And we'll link to our episodes when those release there as well on that platform. So yeah, definitely hit us up on one of those or give us an email. Let us know your thoughts. We're always thankful to everyone who listens to these and uh, I'm very thankful every month to now meet with a host of people who we can talk rum with on the happy hours yeah. it's it's something I look forward to now every month I know Will you do and That's a right. lot of other people do too so it's always a great time and I feel like as we've moved out of COVID the online platform has shrank a little bit and that's fine because I hope people are going to their local bars and they're going to places right. and meeting other people there but if you're looking for maybe something that's nationwide or worldwide because we got a worldwide. lot of people from, oh, yeah. from a lot of different places that are coming on and have uh, some New Zealand, on Australia, yep. all, all over the place. Yeah. UK. And, yeah. It's fantastic. It, it is. It was really a great time. So join us for that. And uh, we'd love to have you. All right. We'll see you again soon.